Bertha Charuma on SAFM. And it is the viewpoint right up until 10. Uh, coming up next, uh, term limit evasions and coup in Africa. So leaders of 14 African countries have evaded term limits in Africa since 2015, combined with those that have suffered coups or do not have term limits. 30 of Africa's 54 countries are operating without functioning term limits. Given that countries lacking term limits are linked to higher levels of autocracy, corruption, conflict, and this has direct consequences for African governance um, outcomes. And the Africa Center for Strategic Studies uh, latest um, infographic, Term Limit Evasions and Coups in Africa, two sides of the same coin. Examples, uh, these linkages include the greater uh, propensity for coups in countries that have experienced term limit evasions and the relationship between military governments and um, circumvention of term limits operates in both directions. Ten of the 14 leaders who have evaded term limits since 2015 first came to power via military coup or intervention. Has this become a pattern? That's a big question. But joining us this evening uh, from Africa Center for Strategic Studies, I've got Dr. Joseph Siegel, uh, Director of Research at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies at the National Defense University in Washington, D.C. Good evening and a warm welcome to The Viewpoint on SAFM. Thank you. Happy to be on. Now, this is quite interesting that the African continent or African leaders have this pattern going and the pattern does not seem to be changing. What could be the issue here? Well, I think um, there's a number of issues going on. And I think it is important to actually recognize that this has changed. It is a relatively recent development. You know, between 2000 and 2015, we were seeing a decline in the number of leaders who were evading uh, term limits. Um, so this was growing as a norm across the continent. It really, we saw an inflection point in 2015, uh, starting in Burundi when Pierre Nkurunziza um, pushed through for his third term. And then this was rapidly followed by a number of other leaders. Um, so we get to the point where we have uh, 14 leaders now who've evaded term limits. And you know, I think it, it reflects that leaders, when they realize they can get away with it, when they, when they can um, break through whatever constraints are on their time in power, um, they, you know, many will, will be tempted to do so. And, and we should be clear, it's not everywhere. There are 18 African countries that are upholding term limits uh, very effectively. But I think because the the norm has been broken and it's now seen as something that will be tolerated, um, that's the main reason that we've seen more of them. Yeah. Um, looking at, you know, I, I know because I'm originally from Zimbabwe, I watched this unfold and we get leaders that come into power and it all starts very well. They have their 
first five years, they are fantastic. Second five years, you know, you do have, you know, so, so some teething problems here and there, but eventually you're fine. And then it just becomes something that you don't understand. Do you think greed triggered by, I don't know, corruption and, and other things could be the main problem here? Well, um, I think that is part of the process that we're we're seeing. You know, they say power is seductive and it's intoxicating. And I think that's part of what we see that once in power, it's very hard to let it go. Um, but to your point about greed, you know, there is actually empirical support for this, that once leaders stay in power, beyond two terms, levels of corruption tend to go up. In fact, when we looked at this and we looked at the median levels of uh, corruption as, as seen by Transparency International's Corruption Perception Index, which ranks in all the countries in the world, 180 countries, it finds that the median rate for those countries where they uphold term limits in Africa, it's about 83. So it's about in the middle. But for countries that uh, evade term limits, um, it's 142. So there's a 60 place difference for African countries that are um, uh, upholding term limits versus evading them. And this is consistent with other uh, uh, evidence that shows that you know longer uh, individuals stay in power um, the the more uh, uh, the weaker governance standards become. You know they're not staying because they're popular. They're not staying because they uh, you know, the the public is demanding it. They're staying for their own self interest. And I think that's one of the most important takeaways from this. That you know term limits when when a leader evades term limits, it's not an isolated event it tends to be part of a broader pattern of evading the rule of law. And these regimes become increasingly treacherous for their populations. It's almost like, you know, they end up running, uh, the governance is almost like a family business where you want to make decisions and you went, you want to make them when you want to make them and you shouldn't be contested. And I was just, I think this, I just need to share with the general public where I was just looking at, I think it comes from some of the research that's been conducted. And these are facts to say Equatorial Guinea had uh, Theodora Obiang ruling for 44 years. That's a lifetime. Cameroon, Paul Beer, 41 years. Republic of Congo, uh, Darius Sasu uh, Ngueso, 38 years. Uganda, Yoerem Seveni, 37 years. And it just goes on and on and on. Now, how do we then mitigate this particular problem, if at all it can be mitigated? Well, it can be mitigated. And again, I think this is an important point to keep in mind that as part of the democratic reforms that uh, many countries on the continent pursued starting in the 1990s, um, we saw an institution of term limits. And you know these were gradually gaining traction. We saw more and more countries upholding them. Elections become, became a normal thing. 
they were competitive, some leaders lost, and they stepped down. And I think it is recreating that, uh, you know, that standard. Um, that that's what's important, and um, and that requires uh, not only um, legislatures and judiciaries within the respective countries to uphold those norms. I mean, all of these these standards are in constitutions, so it's a matter of just respecting the constitutions. But when when leaders try to evade them, that regional bodies like SADC or like ECOWAS step in and uh, insist that that's going to be the case. You know, the whole reason that term limits were created, and it's not just an African thing, this is around the world. The reason they're created is that once an individual is in power, you know, he or she is not in a position to self-regulate, you know, if it's up to them, they will of course, continue to stay in power indefinitely. And then of course, it leads to all these other misgovernance patterns that we talked about. The whole point of creating term limits is you, you don't leave it to the discretion of those leaders to decide when are they going to step down or when are they going to abide by the law? No, you're, you're taking that choice away. It's saying, no, there's a designated time, a maximum amount of time you can be in power and then you will step down um, and somebody else will, will carry on. And you know that process really helps create stability in a society, in a governance system. It creates a, you know, an orderly succession process. And so it's a very uh, instrumental but overlooked aspect of, of democracies and countries that can master that um, do far better. Mm. What about in the instances where, you know, you have like, for example, Eswatini, where you have uh, executive authority resting within the monarchy? Yeah, there are a few exceptions there where you have monarchies in Eswatini or Morocco. And I think, you know, uh, those are cases that really have to be sorted out within the individual countries. And, you know, if the constituents in those countries, um, you know, support those monarchies if they if they um, see those political systems as legitimate for themselves. Then you know, I think we we look at those as a special category of country. Um, you know, if if as in the case in the Iswatini, you know, the public is not supporting the perpetuation of hereditary succession, then I think there needs to be a debate and discussion about how do you transition to a more constitutional, you know, parliamentary or presidential system. And that's how monarchies have shifted to more constitutional systems around the world. You know, almost, you know, there've been many monarchies that are around the world that, um, uh, now are just just nominal or, or they've um, um, you know, dissipated over time. And so I think it's it's going to be the same uh, in, in Iswatini that uh, that you know when the time comes, that's a conversation and a process that needs to be negotiated. Mm. 
086-000-2032. Our lines are opened and also we do have our voice note line where you can drop your views, uh, your opinion. And um, this is an open space where we can have these conversations. Maybe just to trigger a thought, why do you think that, um, you know, African leaders, they start off okay or they look like they're okay and then somewhere along the line, after their two terms is over, they want to extend with another term, which is could be another extra five years. And it goes on and on. Before you know it, they want to be on the seat for a lifetime. Why? Why is it that it happens this way? Oh, 0614104107. That's 0614104107. And I'm speaking to uh, Dr. Joseph Siegel, Director of Research at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies at the National Defense University in Washington, D.C. So here is a little bit of a, I don't know, I, I stand to be corrected. Could it be that as African leaders, uh, you know, take on power. They never have a plan of retirement, meaning once a president then t um, hands over, he's finished with his term, uh, there's a, a system and process in, in place to say um, you will be earning so much, you will be looked after this way, so that there's no need to be greedy and, and feeling like I still need to have you know, the coffers going and I need to be in charge of the coffers because I don't know what my retirement looks like. Well, I think that's part of it, for sure. Um, that, um, you know, in, in, in many African countries, you know, being in power also is a source to wealth and, and stepping down uh, puts that at risk. And so... Um, I do think, you know, providing assurances that that leader will be um, will be able to manage financially is an important part of it. You know, there's a something called the Mo Ibrahim Award. Uh, it's uh, managed by the uh, Ibrahim Foundation, uh, the, um, the Sudanese uh, um, entrepreneur set this up, and. And he awards uh, every year um, a, a sizable financial award to any African leader who steps down um, after their two terms uh, as a means of respecting democratic transition. So, you know, he's very much trying to help incentivize um, this process of, uh, of making this a normal thing where you just step down. So yeah, I think there's the financial part. There is also the prestige part that, you know, when you're in power, there's so much adulation, there's everybody wanting your attention and they want you to be on TV and on media. And to give that up, that that's hard for some people that, you know, it, you know, you have to wean yourself away from all of that attention. And so again, that's the value of term limits, that it doesn't leave it up to the individual to make that choice. It, it's just institutionalized. I would throw out one other thing that um, I think is important to, to consider here, that, you know, of the 14 African leaders who have evaded term limits since 2015, 10 of them came into power 
through either military coups um, or some sort of military intervention. So 10 to the 14. And so I think this is important to recognize that when people, when leaders come to power um, through extra constitutional means, it shouldn't be surprising to us that they don't wanna leave through constitutional means. And so a lot of our conversation has been about those who actually are elected and then they don't wanna step down. And that's one category, but there's this other category of people who you know, come through power to power through force. And, you know, they seem, uh, you know, actively allergic to uh, then uh, respecting, you know, limits on their time in, in office. And so I think it's an important reflection uh, for the continent. And, and, and as we think about better governance, just, you know, really being, uh, skeptical about leaders who who seize power and 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 why it's so important not to recognize them, not to tolerate them, um, because you know experience shows that once they gain that power, they tend not to want to let it go. I've got uh, Victor online. Victor from Sushangube. Good evening. Welcome to the viewpoint. Are you? Yes. Go ahead, Vic. Okay. So I think. Part of the problem why term limits, you know, um, are a, a problem with most of our um, African leaders is because of we come from um, villages or areas where there's traditional leadership, where a leader is born into that uh, position and they die into that position. And growing up in that kind of um, circumstance where you see someone wielding immense power that is not controlled sufficiently. I think it also contributes to, towards how we as humans are brought up, you know. And when you become a president, you become a president having come through the same system that says to you that a man is a man, a leader is a leader, and you've got to be a leader for life, for example. And it becomes so difficult for people to let go of that power. And hence, when they are in there, they will try all sorts of things to actually manipulate the system to stay in power. And I think with South Africa, perhaps, you know, um, I think some of our leaders have tried that. Unfortunately, our constitution is very strong that they would not have been able to succeed in that. So perhaps going forward, I think we perhaps need to have those leaders who may have certain qualifications academically because academy actually teaches you how to view things differently not necessarily how you are brought up but how the world actually functions if you can look if you can look at most african countries and you tell me which which presidents actually have got a master's degree you may find that none maybe one or two because education plays an important role in our development, in how we view the world, in how we think as well. That's my viewpoint. Thank in you. The viewpoint. Thank you so much. That's Victor in Soshungue. Uh, let me take another one from, uh, this is Anonymous in Soweto, and then I can come back to you, uh, Dr. Joseph Siegel, just to, to respond in closing. Anonymous, good evening. 
Can I? Very well, thank you. Go ahead. Hey, ma'am. I just want to congratulate you for speaking about this topic, ma'am. We have a problem here in Africa. The problem is that we find that we've we've got precedents that are older than eight years. Why does that busy talking about they want to uh, promote and upgrade the young mind? So this is the problem, ma'am. What I want to say is this. If they can put the young mind there, somewhere there, so that the young mind can go there and do what is needed, then Africa is going to be free. Because these old people, these old guys, what they are doing, man, is the same thing that is happening in Africa as a whole. They go around, they do their own coups. After their own coups, they want to be in power for 45 years, ma'am. Mm, totally it can't be right, ma'am. It can't be right. Mm. Anonymous, thank you so much. I have to wrap this up. Uh, Dr. Joseph Siegel, what's your take on it? Well, I do think it's, a, you know, every every democracy is different. And so the social historical context does matter. And um, as the one caller said, you know, if there isn't a tradition of holding leaders accountable, it's it's more difficult to, to do that. But I would add that, you know, there's a lot of traditions uh, uh, across the continent at the village level where leaders are accountable to their, um, you know, to 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 their families and and community in these places, and you know there are bodies of elders, um, and there's a tradition for everyone being able to speak up and and uh, have their voices heard, and so I think um, there are a lot of traditional mechanisms that apply to this notion of term limits and um, creating processes of succession. It's not just hereditary succession, but uh, um, you know, passing authority from uh, one uh, person to another uh, as a means of looking out for the best interest of the community. And I think really that gets at the heart of what we're talking about, that, um, you know, in the end, being a leader is about serving the public and, you know, creating that service mentality. And, you know, term limits is one part of that. And, you know, in, in countries where there isn't a long democratic tradition, um, it, it's a learned process, but it certainly um, is an important one. And it's part of, realizing that, you know, the best leaders have some guardrails around what they do, that it isn't absolute power. Their their power is there 
from the people to serve the people. Mm. I think we're going to have to leave it at this point. Uh, Dr. Joseph Siegel, Director of Research at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies at the National Defense University in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for joining us on The Viewpoint and have yourself a pleasant um, afternoon. Well, for us, it's evening, but have yourself a great afternoon and bye for now. Okay. Thanks Thank to, to my producers. That's uh, Lesejo Amandla and uh, Phineas on uh, Tech, making sure everything is put together. It's really been a pleasure working with the team. We'll be together again sometime soon. It's been The Viewpoint. Coming up next, it's Oliver with Night Talk.